This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Hello and welcome to Reporters Without Orders, a podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't and some things that absolutely shouldn't have. I'm your host, Tanishka Sodhi, and joining me in the studio today for the very first time is my colleague, Sumedha Mittal. Hi, Tanishka. News Laundry's newest reporter. <laughs> so, Sumedha has uh, worked on a story this week along with Ashwin, our colleague, about how there has been a 38% drop in the minority affairs budget, which has resulted in education and livelihood schemes taking a hit. And joining us through Zoom is Pallavi Pundir, a senior reporter at Vice World News who focuses on stories of intersections of gender and politics, tech and society and human rights. Hi Pallavi, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely to meet you guys. Pallavi is joining us from Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, what is the weather like in uh, Jakarta right now, Pallavi? Because in Delhi, it's February and we're already experiencing heatwave warnings. So it's it's pretty much coastal weather over here. Just think of Bombay and that's pretty much how it is over here, except it rains a lot. Okay. <laughs> again, like Bombay. <laughs> yeah, again, like Bombay. And it floods a lot, again, like, like Bombay. Bombay. <laughs> so uh, Pallavi's recent story is titled Thousands of Dead Men Are Fighting to Be Declared Alive. And it's a fascinating read about a growing community of the living dead in India and how it is exposing weaker land laws and a trail of land grabs. So we'll discuss the story in detail in the podcast. Let's start with uh, Sumedha uh, right now. Uh, so Sumedha, it's also your first month in News Laundry, right? Yeah, it's about to be over. Okay, and how has it been? I think you've already done three great stories for us. Yeah, I suppose they are great stories and important. <laughs> good, good. So uh, are you nervous for your first podcast? A little bit. <laughs> okay, I mean, by asking you that, I'm probably making you more Yeah, you are aggravating so. the situation. Well, <laughs> so... Uh, Coming to the story that you did with Ashwin, it's a very data-heavy story. Yeah. Uh, are these stories that you have done a lot uh, previously or is this your first time? Yeah, I was working as a multimedia reporter for India's Pen. Okay. So there we used to look at data. Okay, yeah. so numbers don't scare you. You're yeah, but right now they are. Okay. <laughs> so uh, in the story, we uh, you've written about how uh, the budget allocation, it's the highest amount ever for the Ministry of Education, but it's the lowest amount for the Ministry of Minority Affairs in, I think, nine years, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you decode that for us? Yeah, sure. So the thing is, uh, we have analyzed that how the ministry, how the budget, how the budget allocation has been for the Ministry of Minority Affairs under Modi's government from 2014 till 2023, and then uh, we compared it that how the budget for the Ministry of Education has increased over the years, and this time also the budget for Ministry of Education is over 800 crores uh, more than the last year, but the budget for the Ministry of Minority Affairs okay. is even lower than what it was in 2014. It's right. like something, some 17% lower than what it was in 2014. So, Ministry of Minority Affairs particularly looks at the ski, uh, particularly looks at the uh, education development for religious minorities in okay. India. Right. So, and that was the purpose behind that ministry. It was it was formed in after the Sachi Com Sachar Committee's report's recommendation in two th in two thousand and six. Okay. So, uh, so that's the whole purpose of that right. ministry to the education upliftment for the minor minorities. And this time, it has taken a major hit. In 2023. And what are these uh, scholarships or fellowships that are going to be affected? Are they being uh, all of them cancelled or some are just being reduced? Yeah, so there are basically three broad categories 
in uh, Ministry of Minority Affairs. Like one is the schemes for the education empowerment. The second is for the skill development and livelihoods. And the third is the special program of for minorities. And each of these categories has specific schemes related for uh, for that job for that for that right. job. So for the education empowerment, there are some seven schemes and scholarships. For example, Maulana Azad National Fellowship, pre metric scholarships, post metric scholarship. So in the last one year, we had already seen that three of these schemes were discontinued. Uh, Maulana Azad was discontinued last uh, last year, and so was pre-metric and post uh, and Pado Pradesh. Right. So uh, these schemes were particularly helping like millions of minority uh, students from minority backgrounds. So now, uh, when these schemes are not there, so we don't know. So. Of course, they'll be, uh, you know, like they'll be further pushed to the edges. Right. So I think for at least one of the schemes, I think the Maulana Azad scheme, the ministry said that they're cutting it down because there is an overlap with an other scheme. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, so Smriti uh, Rani has said that uh, Maulana Azad, uh, not the, yeah, she has given the same reason for MANF and okay. pre-metric scholarship. So pre-metric scholarships. Uh, so she's saying that these are the schemes which overlap with the right to education, right. right to education scheme in India. So therefore they are discontinuing. But that was the whole purpose of it, you know, like that. That was the whole purpose of Ministry of Minority Affairs to uplift people from minorities because. The national literacy level, if you look at, uh, like literacy level of the uh, minorities is lower than the national literacy level. Your national literacy level is around 77%, but for the minorities, it is around 50%. So this is, you know, like taking away the whole purpose of the ministry. Right. It is for the upliftment yeah, of that and, particular yeah, group that yeah. needs to be. Exactly. So right. then, you know, like if you, know, you cannot give a reason that it overlaps with other the, these schemes overlaps with other schemes because those schemes cover like the whole population. And this scheme is, you know, has a targeted audience. So we will discuss this in further detail. Sure. Uh, but for now, getting to Pallavi's story as well, which I would really recommend everyone reads because uh, it's a beautifully written story and also has a lot of uh, intersectionality of land, um, of caste and of a lot of important things that are unique to only India in some ways. So starting with this, Pallavi, I want to know... Um, how did you come to this story? Did you approach it from the angle of, uh, you know, you want to cover this land grabbing uh, thing that happens in India? Or did you um, approach it because you, you know, met one of the victims and you thought that this could be a good entry into a story like this? Uh, sure. Thank you so much for reading the story and enjoying it. Uh, so essentially, I came across Lal Bihari's story a couple of years ago. Uh, he's been covered widely by a lot of like national and international publications. Um and, you know, like one thing that I noticed over the years in all the coverage was that, you know, like people found his struggle very fascinating, you know, like kidnapping his own nephew, bribing officials just to get a police complaint, uh, creating a ruckus at Legislative Assembly session. And, uh, you know, like there's a lot of fascination with these extreme acts. But uh, what I was curious about, you know, like what drove this desperation? Like, obviously, he was driven to a certain extent that, you know, like he... Uh, did all of these things just to get attention but like why would he go to such extremes and uh, when I spoke to him you know like he was like yeah I've done this but you know like you need to understand why I did this and you know like the reason behind it is something that is that everyone wants like you need land for basic things you don't live in the sky you live on land and you need it and that's why like 
uh, you know, like land is one of the leading factors of uh, crime. And UP is sort of like a state where, you know, like we look at crime and like crime stories are so popular that they've made it to, you know, like popular culture, <laughs> TV shows and everything. And uh, there's this whole, you know, like this gritty angle of like crime intersecting with like policing and politics and everything. And in the middle of this, we also know that, uh, you know, like landlords in India are like a colonial remnant and uh, the powers that be exploit though these landlords to further marginalize like a lot of like you know like backward communities like marginalized communities so essentially i was uh, fascinated by lal bihari's desperation and i wanted to find out what drove him into like committing all these extreme acts and um, i wanted to look into landlords um, and how porous they are you know like if the powers that be can, you know, like sort of exploit them to further marginalize communities. How do these crimes factor into this, you know, like landscape? Like how do these crimes play a role? And uh, I, I spoke to Lal Bihari and of course, like his organization played a big role in tracking other people. But uh, like I ended up talking to like, I ended up meeting like four people. And uh, I, you know, like from the stories, I realized that everyone has like, different kind of stories but they're all related to you know like land and how precious it is and how precarious it is so that is in the India. common factor linking yeah, them together that was a that was besides a being factor. declared dead <laughs> yeah and and you know like uh, in india like it's so common right like we look at these incidents and we're like oh ha, pe to hota hi hai. but uh, like working with a foreign company uh gave me a sort of advantage to you know like pan out like zoom out yeah. and look into the land laws and how they're being exploited who plays a role in that and uh, like shockingly there is you know like a lot of um, uh, data out there by anti-corruption organizations who say that yes there is a rampant corruption and uh, you know like and you see it on the ground level right like yeah. these people are like randomly being declared dead and uh, and they're just like struggling for decades and uh, uh, how did he manage to uh, be declared alive in 1994 right uh, how if you can summarize uh, how he succeeded in doing that and whether there are others like him who have also succeeded in uh, reversing their deaths in a way for sure for sure so lal bihari is i think is he's one of the first cases or i think the first case where there was actually some success wow. And according to him, it was all because of media coverage. He said that nobody took his side. Uh, politicians didn't take him seriously. Local people didn't take him seriously. Everyone laughed at him. He said that people called me Bhut and Murda. And he found it like really distressing. Um, he said that he was driven, almost driven to madness. Like he was roaming around like a mad person at some point because of how traumatizing it all was. And imagine like spending like 20 years not being taken seriously. That, that's a little crazy, right? Like it would drive anybody crazy. So he said that the only thing that made uh, the local officials reverse this is media attention. And I think the, one of the first reports that came out on him was in 1991, which was the Times report. And that was the first time the local authorities took notice of it. And uh, yeah, his his trial essentially got expedited because of that reporting. And uh, like he got noticed and he continued with his activism and he did all sorts of things, right? Like these are like headline grabbing things. Like according to him, he didn't mean to grab head, like eyeballs like this, but he they, like, like he said, right? Like these were all like acts of desperation. 
So he said that media played a big role. And in 1994, like his case was like super active and the local authorities, like the local Tehsildar, he finally like reversed that alteration. And he said that, okay, fine, you know, like he's not alive. But according to Lal Bihari, the court, the high court hasn't said anything. So he still thinks that the high court needs to like put out an order saying that, you know, like, my whatever like all of this has been reversed yeah i mean i can understand why that is important after 20 years of struggle you know you want that to be noted you want the records to be reversed everywhere that yeah. i am alive <laughs> so we we'll... and, and sorry just wanted to add that in this struggle and it's something that i uh, didn't mention this uh, but in in my piece but uh, in the 18 years of his struggle like after he got declared uh, alive uh, there were like around 300 other cases that also were successful and uh, like these like there was like this local article that i found in hindi which said that you know like over two, 300 cases have been reversed uh, in the aftermath of lal bihari's okay. case and uh, and yeah like that that's like a small part of like success but uh, like thousands of cases are still lying in the courts they're still lying in the at the police station and they're still unresolved okay uh, but can you tell us more about the association of the dead uh firstly the name is so fascinating uh is it a big association other people from different parts of the country do they meet um how are they connected besides being declared dead on paper so it's um lal bihari registered this organization he's been running it for like two decades i think and uh, he says that he has members from across the country over 40000 like these are like rough estimates that he's given my god uh, and and you know like so essentially because of his case people reached out to him because he became so well known yeah. right and his news gets published in like local um, uh, you know like uh, hindi language media and like other regional language medias and that's how people discover him on his part over the years he's also like whenever he and he he was born as in like he wasn't he's not educated he's not had an education he didn't didn't know how to like read and write but because of his activism and uh, his son like his son works in the film industry right now so his son is educated so okay. his son also taught him like a lot of things like his son taught him how to like read and write and hmm. because you know like these legalities are so complex he was forced to learn how to read and write so he used to like read newspapers and he would come across these cases and he would reach out to these people individually and that's how all these cases started stacking up like he started documenting he made it his life's mission uh, i think at the core of it was this belief that you know like if you're fighting alone not much can happen but if you unite with other people you know like a lot of things can happen so he essentially wanted to make it into like a like a bigger cause than himself and he he didn't want to be the face of it he wanted it to be like a community sort of a thing so when i met him you know like he uh, he knows so many people like not just in azamgarh like across up and in such like strange ways you know like now people like call him and give him tips a lot of regional journalists they have become you know like they're also like they find out about such yeah. cases and they also come to lal bihari okay. and like tell him that you know like hey there's this guy and uh, he needs help so can you please help 
so that's how he's he's been able right. to you know like reach out to so many people but the fact that there are so many cases i mean it's something that i'm still sort of processing cuz to be declared dead uh, did you speak to police officials about this um or, you know what is the official version of this and also the law that you mentioned in the story the colonial era a uh, land law which makes this possible could you also explain that a little bit what is it exactly that uh, gives the power to do something like this so uh, i spoke to the adm of azamgarh and he's the um, like he he's basically like the head of uh, revenue records right. and uh, he told me that oh you know like uh, cases like lal bihari's used to happen long time ago now there are no cases we don't see them anymore because you know like people are aware they're educated and Uh, we're digitizing everything it's a great move uh, and you know yeah. like everyone is educated now everyone knows how to use the internet everyone has a phone so that was like his general line about how the digitization has changed everything and how it's um, sort of impacted these crimes and it's making it even more challenging for people like you know like lal bihari's relatives who just like went to a local tehsildar and like got his name struck off right so according to the adm uh, you know like these kind of people wouldn't be able to alter records so easily but uh, like in a lot of rural pockets of up there is like people don't have phones they yeah. don't have internet and things are still done manually and and we saw that like through like one case that we came across and he said that ha matlab we i have to go manually to the courts i have to go man you know like personally to the tehsildar everything is in a register so so i guess like digitization uh, like there are cracks to these uh, to this program hmm. and you see it through these ex- lived experiences right uh yeah so that's about okay. it okay and uh, in bihari's case uh, in one of the quotes to you he spoke about how you know his weaving business was destroyed his livelihood was destroyed and also his land was affected but land out of all these aspects is the main part so uh, why is that and how did he also come to realize that um this is the main point so uh, i think i found it really interesting first of all uh, in none of the coverage before uh, mine like i i didn't know lal bihari was uh, dalit right i you know like i was just like talking to him and i was like in my head i was like you know like a lot of marginalized people are impacted yeah. the most and i asked him you know like is there like a specific caste or religion or like gender you know like who are most impacted and he was like look at me i am dalit like you know like 70 and he knows like facts right so he's like 70% of dalits are landless you know like i'm one of the rare ones to have inherited some land and that was snatched away from me and uh, in uh, azamgarh and uh, varanasi weaving is like a hu- huge thing right. like banarasi silk is a huge thing it's a lucrative money making business so in his 20s all he wanted was to be independent he wanted to you know like flourish as a person he wanted to end the generational poverty that his family has seen and uh, and he knew that you know like he has this big asset he has this land on which he wanted to like set up a weaving unit uh, he grew up a child labor so he wanted to make sure that the rest of his generation doesn't have to go through that they get an education and they have like proper jobs so and once that was taken away he realized that you know like literally all the future that he had imagined for himself it, it's all gone right like in like a split second like one tehsildar tells him that you know like hey you're not even alive anymore in our records you don't have land and that's where like everything went and he was not entitled to anything that he should be yeah you know like income employment everything and his identity so, uh, was not mentioned in earlier reports um 
is that it yeah yeah so he comes he said that he comes from the chamar uh, community and uh, like traditionally they've been into the weaving business uh, i asked him if his dalit identity has if he thinks that you know like yeah. his dalit background has uh, uh, led to this kind of crime led to him you know being a victim of this kind of crime and he he said that you know like he's come across cases uh, that cuts across like all kinds of castes all kinds of religions right. so so it's not like caste specific this kind of case but he did mention that just because he was a dalit nobody took him seriously yeah. the he blames the delay in justice on his uh, dalit background and he said that if i was a an upper caste man i would have you know like received international attention immediately that the government would have helped me and uh, so yeah he said that caste does play a big role in uh, you know like these kind of cases yeah and how long did it take you uh, pallavi to do this story because uh, it does look like you know extensive reporting was required and not just that also the writing it's not just information put together it's woven together really well so how many months did it take you and you know walk us through that process a little bit So I pitched the story last year and I got in touch with Lal Bihari last year and um, he was really interested in talking to me he was he sounded tired right like all these decades yeah. he's been fighting he's been giving interviews and he's like acha you want to know more about my struggle <laughs> okay fine aaiye aap azamgarh and that's how i just planned yeah. and uh, through him and through one more um, uh, character one more person that i interviewed in the story santosh murat singh right. uh, he had protested in delhi like several years ago and um, my uh, photojournalist friend who's also credited in the story vijay yeah. pande he had met vijay uh, sorry uh, vijay had met santosh okay. like years ago in delhi when santosh was protesting in new delhi so we contacted these two people and they're not related like they're not the same part of the same movement they're like fighting individual okay they're not battles. part of the same association also yeah they're okay. not a part of the same association and santosh murit singh himself claims to run his own you know like informal network of uh, dead people he said that i aap main aapko murdo se milata hu and uh, so yeah it was it was pretty interesting that you know like there there are these people who are scattered across the country who are who don't necessarily know about each other but they're all fighting the same battle yeah so last year i got in touch with lal bihari and over time i got in touch with santosh and uh, these two essentially helped me connect with right. other people but once i was in varanasi and azamgarh we realized that a lot of people were in like far flung districts and um, unfortunately i had assigned myself only two days of reporting days <laughs> as in like yeah on ground yeah. reporting and uh, Yeah, those were like great distances to cover, I but I I decided to focus on just four characters, correct, and know their stories thoroughly. Uh, get like yeah, access to their documents, understand what's happening yeah. because land conflict is not my beat. I wanted to understand what exactly happens. Okay. You know, like their stories are so like crazy, but it's very easy to forget like the crux of yeah. this whole thing. So I wanted to spend time in understanding. Yeah. how crime plays a role in these kind of land grabs i mean the photos are also stunning uh, the photographer vijay pande has done an amazing job because it really captures the essence of it you know and the photos are almost eerie uh, the one with santosh in varanasi on the boat uh, wearing a skeleton sort of body suit uh, yeah these are great great yeah. photos sumeda so, do you have any questions yeah so pallavi was this your first time in varanasi Yes, in Modi's home ground. So, how did you find it? 
I mean, I was absolutely blown away by the religious display of religious, yeah. you know, like everything. Like, and I was like mostly at the ghats. Like, that's like the epicenter of um, Hindu religious, I don't know, practices. Like, I I saw like all kinds of tropes. Uh, I actually didn't expect it, but yeah, I was pretty blown away and. Uh, yeah to see you know like these kind of crimes happening in a state where the government claims to you know like trying to make it crime free and like you know like helping the poor and everything so that was pretty uh, interesting and uh, all of the people whom i interviewed they have absolutely no faith in like not just the current government but even in previous governments they said that you know like no matter what government there is will continue to be marginalized will continue to be like forgotten like this Okay. I think the same kind of problems have come up with Aadhaar card also. Yeah. Na? Like like so many schemes have been linked to Aadhaar card and people don't when people don't and with digitalization of uh, Aadhaar card and and yeah, like with, when people don't have those Aadhaar card they can they don't have access to those schemes. Yeah, it's I mean in a way being official unofficially uh, dead in certain Yeah, hints, so it so. has hit it has been hitting like a lot of people. Correct. There was I think last year there was a case of like 11 people who were declared dead through their Aadhaar cards and their uh, funeral aid was embezzled by unknown people. So again this is all the this is like something similar like being okay. wrongfully declared dead but through Aadhaar. I think yeah. even so during the It's a big it's becoming yeah. a big problem like these yeah, yeah. like these things come up to solve problems and you know like yeah. so that the government schemes reach more people. And then there's a pattern like I think even during the vaccinations a lot of people who were dead were yeah. getting messages that okay your vaccine has been successful yeah. so this exploitation of people who are dead or calling people who are alive dead is definitely a pattern across India. So yeah. Uh, so Meeta moving on to your story. Mhm. Could you uh, explain a little bit what the pre-matrix scholarship is and in what ways that is being affected because uh, mostly attention is being given to the Maulana Azad National Fellowship so tell us a little about uh, the pre-matrix scheme Yeah th- so the pre-matrix scholarship is uh, is like in the in the pre-matrix scholarship the government provides like up to 1000 rupees of per month help to uh, students uh, to students from class 1 One to ten. Okay. And uh, it is like the scheme is for the day scholars and the hostlers, and so it's not a huge amount which the government is giving in this scholarship. And now the government, uh, so now they have discontinued the scheme for for students till eighth class, but it will continue for ninth and tenth because they are saying that you know like uh for. till 8th class we already give provide free education yeah. under right to education so okay. the so so the government so, so the ministry is saying there is no point of continuing it right but it doesn't make sense because uh, if we look at data so the muslim literacy rate in india is 60% while the average literacy rate of india is 77% and the highest proportion of out of school children are also from muslim community which is 4.43% so you know like they need an extra they need an extra a more push, push. right and the scheme uh, is it just for muslim community or for all minorities for all religious minorities okay yeah. i see and uh, i also want to ask you uh, whether you have any thoughts about you know during budget allocations it is always uh, schemes like this that take the hit you know it's never uh, you will never see a headline about the defense ministry uh, having a cut or uh, you know ministries that focus on these kind of things so why is it that education uh, especially the intersection of education and minority affairs uh, why is this the weak point 
yeah we are still not clear like you know that why ministry of minority affairs have taken a hit this time like probably we could see it coming because three schemes were discontinued last year but still you know like the budget for ministry of education has increased it's right. just that the ministry of minority affairs Correct. has decreased right. so probably the government wants to you know like make a statement out yeah, of this but i mean it's also not a good look for them with the elections coming up next year there's also a matter of public perception right and how a certain um whether it's an increase or decrease in budget how it is viewed by people and this already since there is a narrative about you know the modi government being anti muslim so this certainly doesn't help them in that aspect but yet it is something that or probably does help them after 10 years you know after 10 years <laughs> of being into power there is you know there's rise of hindutva fundamentalism so right. probably it is you know helping them to assert this narrative that you know we are not standing with minorities okay. we are not going to support their upliftment in any way and apart from uh, you know like uh, taking a hit in uh, like apart from these schemes of hmm. uh, under education empowerment which has taken a hit the other major blow has been taken up uh, has been uh, taken up by this uh, schemes for skills and livelihood okay 86% of budget allocation has been dropped for these schemes okay. so it's like a huge like what are like, these schemes like so there was this scheme uh, the largest scheme under the skill development initiative section was sikho or kamao hmm. and it aimed to tackle unemployment among minorities by imparting quality skill development training okay so the budget for this scheme which was like 235 crores last year has been a uh, cut down to 10 lakh rupees this year from 25 to 235 crores to 10 lakh so it's like a major cut and the government has not even explained the reason right. for this like are they also going like we are not clear that will this scheme will be dis- discontinued hmm. or will it be continued we don't know that for example there is this another scheme uh, under the education empowerment section for in which the government provided you know like the free uh education like support for P, uh, support for uh, students from minority hmm. who are applying for upsc and other exams so the last year the budget for that was 8 crores and this year no budget has been given to it so again we don't know whether the scheme has been discontinued so it's so you can see that there's a pattern you know like the they'll first probably you know cut down on the budget and then they'll discontinue the scheme but they will not announce officially that they have discontinued the scheme so it's it's something you know of and a uh, problem right and this uh, budget cut is this something that was uh, covered extensively by mainstream yeah. media because uh, i i don't think i mean we didn't see any television debates on this you know or uh, front page explainers about why this is happening yeah but newspapers did cover it in detail okay the the uh, like why we did this story in particular is that we are looking at the you know uh, budget cu- bu- budget for ministry of minority affairs from 2014 right right so like that was like that was the idea of our story okay. but yeah of course television channels have not covered it and we cannot like, even expect them to cover it right right of course when there are so many other yeah. important things to <laughs> things cover things to be discovered like in quotes yes of course <laughs> uh, so moving on to the last segment of our podcast which is a recommendation segment so meeda do you have a book a show a series a movie anything that you'd like to recommend to our listeners tanishka you have you already That's know my reg- <laughs> recommendation when we were sitting in the office i was completely glued to this new web series the romantics and, and have you managed to finish it <laughs> yeah on the same day only <laughs> really yeah i like i completely i i just i just loved it uh, okay. but i think i'll but your point of view is also right like the 
series is produced by YRF. So <laughs> correct. That's just a disclaimer. If it's enjoyable, still so yeah, uh, you still love okay. it. Probably it can be your guilty pleasure. Yes, because last week after work in office, uh, Sameeda just started watching the show and she just tuned out. She was not responding to anything we were saying. She was yeah. just like hooked onto the show. So yeah, I watched an episode. I'm not drawn to the rest of the series yet. But the first episode about yes, yeah, it Chopra. was fine. It was yeah, alright. Yeah, like it tells you like how where he came from and you know like why he made a certain kind of cinema why yeah. women in his movies have an agency which came from his personal life okay so that it sounds that, like a nice light show to uh, yeah. come back to after a long especially day especially if you love shahrukh khan i think <laughs> i believe two episodes are completely based okay. on him interesting yeah. pallavi what about you do you have a recommendation for us um i've actually not like seen or uh, read anything super latest in recent months okay uh but i guess like uh, with because of that the timeliness of it i would like i just wanted to recommend yashika dat's uh, coming out of the dalit book uh which is this incredible like personal journey interspersed with the history of uh, you know like caste discrimination and caste bias and the caste anti caste movement yeah. in india and abroad uh i just i just i just found her book like super powerful and uh, with the latest news of seattle passing yeah. an ordinance that bans caste based discrimination and protects people so i just saw that it, it's like a timely read and uh, yeah it's it's a book i've been meaning to uh, pick up for a while so maybe this will push me to it <laughs> that and uh, sharanya's uh, desperately seeking uh. sharuk like i'm i'm midway through that book and it's just like bowled me over there is I didn't know talking about Shahrukh Khan would entail so much data. Yeah. I'm just like <laughs> bolo. Definitely a pattern so between romantics and <laughs> Shahrukh centric. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to recommend an article um from the News Minute called Bangalore's new surveillance plan will match faces on CCTV visuals to cop database um it's by Prajwal Bhatt it's a very interesting story done with the IFF about how the city police wants to introduce facial recognition to its video surveillance project um and what the activists think why this could be a dangerous precedent so this surveillance system is also going to be linked to a blacklist library which is going to match faces from the CCTV feeds with images from a police database and all of this is happening months before Karnataka goes into elections so this is scary it is scary yeah <laughs> let's see i hope other states don't really follow this um pattern but yeah surveillance era it is let's hope for the best yeah so thank you so much guys for joining us and with that this podcast is adjourned all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel